Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world with more hits than Julio Rodriguez. I'm Jake Mintz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Another one. Watch out, Milt Stock. Milt Stock never even got to find out what a podcast is. But here we are, as Jake said, on as big of a heater as Mr. J-Rod himself. We're going to talk about the J-Rod show, which has been in full force Over the last week, we're going to talk about all of the action from the weekend. Many a sweep, no mops, but many a sweep. Jake uh, has returned from his uh, West Coast jaunts to Seattle. We are going to talk about the Yankees, who have not continued to still haven't won a game for many, many podcasts. They haven't won since before I was married, I think, which is Correct. super hilarious to think about Correct. as I am now a week plus into uh, a married life. Uh, we're going to talk about John Angelo saying, oh, owning a team is hard. Gunner is saying the cycle is actually not as cool as getting another extra base hit. Literally classic prospect corner and all kinds of other fun stuff. Uh, but Jake, where would you like to begin on this, this weekend recap edition on Monday? Why don't we just fly through the weekend that was the dog days of August or drawing to a close. It is August 21st. You can smell September around the corner. The crunch of multicolored leaves. The smell of the crisp wind in the air. Postseason baseball is upon us. But first, we must finish August. Over the weekend, we had four sweeps. The Mariners sweeping the Houston Astros at Minute Maid Park. Jordan, when was the last time this happened? Never? 2000 and uh, never? Feels like never. Apparently 2018 is the last time they swept him. But yes, they had been uh, laughably horrific multi-years in a row, in multiple years in a row, even as they started to get good last year. But instead, their house of horrors was a delightful playground of success. And I loved it. I loved every second of it. We'll talk about Julio specifically later. But as far as the actual team goes... I mean, they're three back of, of the Rangers and are, are right in, in, you know, getting some some separation here. I know Toronto won the series this weekend, too, but they are playing as well as we have seen them play. They are in the frickin mix. Oh, yeah, it's pretty crazy after so much mediocrity all season long to see Seattle getting into it, dude. Like, oh, yeah, back in the They've- division. Yeah, they've won, I think, 22 of their last 29. They had a big win streak and then a weird series of Kansas City. Now they're on another W6, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, the AL is not very forgiving. They still they still are in the third spot despite playing this well, but they're in, a, they're in a great position. Texas, part of the reason that the Mariners have gained so much ground is Texas scuffled over the weekend, getting swept at home by the Milwaukee Brewers, who are good. It looks like the Brewers are just going to maybe run away with the Central unless the Cubs can hold on. Cubs currently three back of the Brewers, but the Brewers going into Arlington and taking all three from the Rangers. Yeah. Congrats to the Brewers finally getting into positive run differential up to plus five Woo! on the season. So Raise the banner. <laughs> that's a big, big achievement. Uh, rings, but for, yes. rings for everybody. Yes, I'm sure they would they would happily celebrate that. But that's a huge that's a that is a massive uh, road series win for the Brew Crew. Speaking of road series wins, the Boston Red Sox yeah took the train down probably not from Boston and visited the Yankees and said, "Oh, you guys are struggling. Well, let me push you down a flight of stairs." As the Red Sox took all three games. In the Bronx from the New York Yankees, the Yankees are now, as you said, on an L8. Six more L's than baseball barbacast. They are one and nine in their last 10. That's how L8s work. They are 60 and 64 overall. Four games under 500. 
We've said this on this pod before. If they finish under 500, it would be for the first time since 1992. And uh, eight-game losing streak. Were your parents married in 1992? Were they married in 1992? I think that is the year they were married. There you go. Yeah. Also, uh, if I'm wrong about that, sorry, mom and dad. I probably am wrong. You put me on the spot. 1995 is the last time they had an eight-game losing streak. I know <laughs> that there was a stat earlier last week that's the, that's the latest in the season they've been under 500. But yes, that is also the latest. You were not born. Their eight-game losing streak in 1995 ended, it was right around the same time, ended on uh, August 26th. Now, for a while this season, the Yankees were playing maybe a little bit below their run differential in some ways. The truth is starting to be borne out. They are negative 27 run differential, 16-64. They are not good. Kudos to the Red Sox for coming in, taking all three. They're only three back in the wild card. I still do not know what to think of the Red Sox. Maybe I'll get around to it by September 1st. But yeah. the story now is less about the Red Sox. It is about the Yankees, I think, being officially dead. And the Red Sox being the one to kill them. Yeah. Even in a season where the rivalry has been mild and they're the two worst teams in the division and it lacks the fizz that it's had in recent years, it still tastes sweet to roll into the Bronx and bury the Yankees. Yes, yes. And then, and they were apparently all, all reports out of the, the Red Sox clubhouse. Apparently, like Cora's post game presser got interrupted because they wanted to just like pull him out and, and party with him, which, which to me, like, I'm never going to tell people, hey, don't celebrate really essentially in any situation. But it was uh, interesting. Like, I understand treating this like, you know, your biggest series win of the year. Like, totally respect that. But it is funny to see that when <laughs> they're also still in fourth and <laughs> 11 games back of, of Baltimore and stuff like that. But hey, to your point, like, the rivalry is the rivalry. And if they felt like they just buried the Yankees, then yeah, that is absolutely worth celebrating. Showing up to my enemy's funeral. Mm-hmm. Last sweep over the weekend. Orioles taking three over Oakland in the Bay. This is just a total whooping. Game two did go to extra innings. And even in extra innings, the Orioles found a way to win by five. <laughs> yeah, it was. Uh, this has kind of been the thing with, with the, especially Oakland, especially since we've seen Kansas City playing a lot better over the last month or so. They just have series where their pitching is so far overmatched that it's, it is essentially as non-competitive of a game. Of a of a series as you'll see in major league baseball and it sucks. Um, it's unfortunate to watch. I've still enjoyed watching some of the young Oakland hitters, but they had no chance from the jump. Three, three to one series, the Mets over the Cardinals. If I had said to you a couple months ago, Mets Cardinals four games set in late August. Ooh, that's spicy. spicy. Yeah. Two division winners going toe to toe on I Fox just, on a Saturday. Oh, yep. fire me up and I'm locked in. Uh, not so much because these two, disasters uh, met a stoppable force, a movable object. And the Mets took three out of four from the Cardinals. The Mets are gaining ground on the Padres, Jordan. (laughs) I just love that on Friday, I did a whole thing about how desperately the Mets need to lose. And then they come dangerously close to mopping the team. They are technically chasing in the draft pick race. (laughs) So very, very Mets of them. Uh, and, and you know, it, it's, it's interesting when you watch a series like this where it's, both seasons have gone so wrong. Of course, the highlight or low light of this series was Pete Alonzo chucking Mason Wynn's first hit into the stands. It was, I think, it, it is one of the funnier clips I've seen because it is so obviously a brain fart. And Pete is the, is the perfect kind of uh, doofus to make this mistake. Uh, truly, where Mason Wynn gets his first hit and Pete gets the ball. And there's also something extra funny about because you have the extended higher netting now behind, you know, down the lines, he has to throw it so high. <laughs> it, it just looks so intentionally like, fuck this baseball. <laughs> but but Pete and me, and, and, and the Cardinals were so pissed, right? Like, this is such a great, like, unwritten rule thing where, like, in the moment, it's so funny because in the moment, you know, they get the ball back sometimes in a first hit and they pretend to throw it. And it's like, oh, ha, ha, ha. But like to watch an actual opposing team do this, even if it was an accident, was truly hilarious. And Pete apologized and felt bad. Mason Wynn wasn't pissed. It was all fine. So people don't need to make too much out of it afterwards. But the, the clip itself is objectively hilarious. I would say more players should do this. 
Uh, dude gets his first career hit. You're at first base. Just throw it into the stance. Yeah. They're going to get the ball back, but make the fan trade it for something. I will say, right. Th- let's just be glad that this was in St. Louis because this could have been much more <laughs> problematic were he to, to chuck it into the city field bleachers. But instead, uh, all is well. Happy ending. He gave him, gave Mason Wynn uh, some Don Julio and, and all is all is well. So it, it's. Oh, that's. That, you know, that's a sorry for anything, right? Yeah. In baseball, that's that's apparently how that works. Yeah. Other opportunities wasted. 3-1 series wins. Tigers over the Guardians. If there was ever any doubt that Cleveland is not particularly focused on winning this season, it would be efforts like this weekend where the Tigers came into town and took three of four. Uh, and yeah, I mean, that that was it's Cleveland clearly kind of threw their their hands up when they traded Aaron Savali. A little disappointing considering the AL Central's weakness, but that's fine. Good for the Tigers. Kerry Carpenter, by the way, just going to mention, holy shit, he's been on one. I, I don't wouldn't be surprised if you haven't noticed that, but that has been a bright spot for the Tigers over the last couple of months. He looks fantastic. I had a couple uh, people. I had a couple yes. people start saying to me like, "Hey, the Tigers, yeah, the Tigers," mm, and it's no. like, still no. no. I need still a little no. More. But like again, like we're looking for we're looking now, <laughs> again. They're game and a half behind Cleveland, still seven and a half behind Minnesota. So uh, we're looking for bright spots, and you know, you you do feel better about twenty twenty four when you have a weekend like that. But for this year, still not a good baseball team. Now, speaking the of apparently. Co- yeah. Well, I was going to say the Miguel Cabrera oh, yes. adios tour rolls on. It does. And it does. a little comical moment here. Yes. A little, little ha 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 between <laughs> Mr. Cabrera and Jose Martinez. Jose Martinez. Wow. I really am tired. Jose Ramirez. <laughs> Jose Martinez. Wow, yeah. I was going to say, normally we would edit that out, but Jake basically just got off a red eye. So you're going to be, you're clear. You're good. Yeah. Literally straight from the red eye to the train. I'm still wearing the same shirt. Didn't even pee. <laughs> Good thing I can't, can't touch smell this. It. <laughs> uh, Jose Ramirez presenting Miggy with his, you know, congrats on the career present. Mm-hmm. And Miggy accepts it and then pretends to square up toward yes. at Jose Ramirez <laughs> like he is Tim Anderson. And then yes. Jose is like shaking his head like, that's not funny. Like, yeah. no, 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 no. I'm not. That's not a joke that I which which you know is, is interesting. And I know that it, I have to imagine it in, in the moments after the fact, you know, Ramirez apologized and I'm sure he does feel some level of shame. But like it is interesting, like the how he's going to choose to move forward like this, because unfortunately for him, especially with someone of the the uh, humor level of Miguel Cabrera, people are going to keep making jokes. My guy. Sorry. Sorry. That's fine. Uh, Last anyway. three one series. Yes. Diamondbacks over the Padres. San Diego, man. Yeah, so this was a weird one because we had, I mean, probably maybe should have mentioned this earlier. Uh, Willow West Coast hurricane action. Very weird. Uh, giant flooding in California has resulted. We had three double headers in California on Saturday, including the D-backs Padres, uh, where the D-backs took two of those games to take three out of four in that series. The moment of that series that really stood out was at the very end of, I believe it was the first game in the doubleheader on Saturday where Juan Soto comes up with the bases loaded and Paul Seawald hanging on for dear life down by two. He launches a ball to deep left field and it is caught at the track by Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And that is when you know it is just not our season. So that's kind of Padres continue to sink. I am, we'll talk a little bit about more of them later on, but I just, like, how many more things do you need? Like, forget we've been joking all season. Oh, they can't win four in a row. They can't win two in a row. So I, I they just are so far behind and, you know, they have no choice. I mean, they, they clearly still have this team and they're still going to believe they can do it, but it's just, man, they are so maddening to watch. I need one more week and then okay. I can bury them, <laughs> but I need one more week. <laughs> you know, it'll be good when Ryan Weathers dominates them tonight. Um, mm. So that'll really, <laughs> if, if rock bottom has not been achieved, tonight is a great opportunity. Credit to the Diamondbacks who were playing like the worst team in baseball for about a month after the All-Star break. They have sort of turned it around and are still just a game out of the wild card spot. Other 2-1 series wins, Braves over the Giants. Braves offense is just comically ridiculous. Every, I mean, it's every possible, like it, it is, and everyone's noticed it. You know, we saw it with the Yankees when they watched them and like, oh my God, this is a, this is a real offense. But I mean, as you pointed out to me last week, I mean, they're, 
they're in the running for something that we were tracking with the Dodgers last season, which is the the OPS plus record, which I believe took a minor hit over the weekend, but they are still very much in the running for for truly one of the greatest offenses we've ever seen. And also in a more basic, if you're not if you don't care for OPS plus, I think they're also pushing for the home run record, the, the Bomba Squad home run record. So they're they're like 50 ahead of everybody else in Dingers too. So yeah, they're on pace, or at least they were before the weekend to break the home run record. They were on pace for 313 home runs in a single season, which is mind blowing. Mm-hmm. Uh, the highest single season OPS plus in what I consider to be baseball era is 123. 100 is average, right? Any deviation above or below 100 says how good you are compared to the league average. 123 as a team is the highest ever held by the 2017 Houston Astros, an organization, a franchise with zero problems that year. Don't look any further. The Braves are currently tied with that group, which is outrageous. It it, it doesn't mean that the Braves are also cheating. They're just no, doing something better than everybody else, anybody else has ever done. And if you take a look at the starting lineup, everybody's OPS plus is over 100, right? Everybody in the entire starting lineup has been an above average hitter for the entirety of the season. And that doesn't sound particularly sexy on its own. I mean, it's like it really it, – it, but then you, you think about what that means. Like it's very, very hard to do. If you have six guys doing that, you are probably one of the best offenses in the league. And they have 10 if you include Travis Darno. Yeah. And and that's not even including, you know, their new superstar, Nicky Lopez. So, um, and you think I'm kidding, but he's looked amazing. <laughs> so, yes, Braves are just patently ridiculous. All right, Blue Jays over the Reds. I was in attendance just for the first game of this series when Christian Encarnacion Strand delivered another Reds rookie moment with a walk-off home run off of Jordan Hicks. I think my favorite sequence of the weekend was Jordan Hicks coming in on Friday night and allowing a massive walk-off home run, throwing a ton of sliders for just like, why? Jordan Hicks, you're the fastball guy. Like, throw fastballs. Comes back in, classic, send him back out there the next day. John Schneider sends him out there on Saturday, and he (laughs) proceeds to throw the five hardest pitches in Blue Jays' stat cast history, throwing 103 like six times. And just blowing them them away. And then Blue Jays win that game, hang on close, and then blow them out on Sunday. Really, really good bounce back from Toronto. I think a huge thing, I know that Blue Jays fans have been going crazy. Like, you just got Bobachet back. Your team is different when you have Bobachet. Bobachet has been out, and now you have Bobachet. And like that, he's your best player. So that it's really to me, it's not that complicated. Like, if you were going crazy when he was out, that makes sense because he's one of the best players in baseball. Now he's back. Doesn't look like he's missed a beat. He is he is just fantastic to watch, and now I'm I, I you still got to feel pretty good about them. It is frustrating for Blue Jays fans that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. has essentially been just as good as Whit Merrifield mm-hmm. this year. Yeah, Vladdy is just not the same dynamic motherfucker he was in 2021. Again, it's probably in there. The guy's only 24 years old, yeah. but he has he's slashing 265, 347, 432, only 18 bombs. And a yeah. 115 OPS plus, which would be a great season if you were a lot of other people. But when you're literally Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and your job is to be enormous and hit the ball far, mm-hmm. he hasn't you really do, done that. You should do more of that. No, I agree. And and he, I mean, I, I'm still more worried about some other parts of that offense. Like Springer has been a far bigger disappointment, I would say, than Vlad. But uh, but I still feel good about the Blue Jays. And then quickly on the Reds, weird weekend where you start Brett Kennedy on Friday and and he dominates and you win. And then you get Hunter Green back on Sunday and he gets he has like the worst start of his life. So very strange. And and the Reds, you know, they call it Noel Marte. We'll talk a little bit about that later. They're in a weird spot. Pitching still thin. Lodolo will be back soon. They're still in it, but they they definitely have some some flaws starting to show. One game back in the wild card, the NL wild card, alongside Arizona and Miami. Let's move on to the Rockies, who took two or three from the White Sox. Jordan, this was must-see TV, as in you must see some TV instead of watching this series. <laughs> this is great. Well said. Uh, the, only, the only thing I'll say about this series is Charlie Blackman is awesome. And Charlie Blackman is I th- he is essentially like a version of Joey Votto that is we are not thinking about. 
And I know that seems disrespectful to Joey Votto, but as far as one team guys in one place, and you're just like, wow, like that dude's just still there and everybody freaking loves him. Obviously, Votto will be a Hall of Famer and Charlie Blackman will not. But I'm fascinated because he's playing well and he's a free agent after this year. And I know he's 36, but like, I'm really interested if he is a guy where no one was going to trade for him because he's making a ton of money this year. But like, does Charlie Blackman find a, pl- a nice platoon role next year? Does he? Oh my, he's going to go to the Braves. Oh no. Oh, he's going to go home to the Braves and be amazing for them next year. Oh, I mean, that'll be awesome, but it'll be kind of suck for everybody else. Anyway, love Charlie Blackman. That's my thoughts on that series. Uh, Cubs over Royals. Royals still playing. There's some some spicy, spicy. I mean, they're they much more you know formidable than they have been. They've been really fun to watch. Bobby, we had another home run Friday. Um, but Cubs hanging on here. And despite some very strange goings on with Marcus Stroman and his injury, very, very weird, where Marcus Stroman apparently came up to the press box on Friday and was like, here's what's going on with my broken rib. They were like, okay, sure, dude, whatever. But he's not going to be he back. He went so- up to the press box? Oh, yes. Oh, you didn't see this. Yes. During their their loss on Friday... During the game? During the game, uh, some great report. I mean, ever all the Cubs people wrote about this, but I read about it's it. It's not from reporting. It's not reporting if he showed up in the press box. That's true. He was doing the reporting for them. They did it. Sahad Sharma wrote about it, the athletic. There's a couple other tweets about it. They described it well, but I still have so many questions. But basically, Stroman, it was announced that he's going to be out for a lot longer. He has a very strange injury involving his, his ribs and some sort of very rare situation. And he, middle of the game, went up to the press box to, I guess, explain what's going on. I, I still, I don't know. We might have to get some Cubs people on to explain what's going on there. Very strange. But anyway, Cubs are in the third wild card spot and at least take the series, taking care of business. And uh, they, they, you know, they're they're in it. They're in it. Wrigley's hopping. Wrigley's definitely hopping. No, no doubt about that. Uh, before the hurricane came and uh, flooded the. The massive parking lot around Dodger Stadium. The Dodgers Everything's took- fine. Everything's fine. The climate is fine. Oh, no no one think chilling. any harder about it. All Everything's well. okay. Yes. Fine. Everything is super fine. That's why we have places like Tropicana Fields. And you don't have to think exactly. about the Exactly. That's why we keep places like Tropicana Field. Everybody loves those places. Anyway. Exactly. Dodgers taking two or three over the Marlins. This was... They, they finally you know broke their winning streak on Friday, but then taking... Both games to the doubleheader on Saturday. Dodgers continue to roll on. Marlins hanging around, though. They are still... They're in this thing. They are in this thing. Yuri Perez. Oh, my God. And I know they lost that game. But he is just... He is just sensational. Uh, Twins over Pirates. This one involved yesterday a Dallas Keuchel perfect game bid into the seventh, which involved some... You know I don't like to get too bent out of shape about this. The last Diaz performance yesterday. We don't have the ump scorecard yet. That's going to come out in, in about twenty minutes. But and an all time. I mean, it was. It looked like one of the things you saw like thirty years ago, where it looked like the ump and the pitcher were like genuinely working together. <laughs> like it was laughable the calls Dallas Keuchel was getting. But the craziest part about this is apparently they are going to accommodate Dallas Keuchel for a six man rotation when have Joe to. Ryan comes back. Have to. Unreal. Unreal. So twins, I would say it's a heat check, but you know, Dallas Keuchel's throwing 87. So Dallas, it's a it's a soft serve check. <laughs> Dallas Keuchel for the twins has made three starts. Yeah. He has it's a great line. Yeah. Seven runs. He has struck out three batters in 30 yeah. innings. Three yesterday were is averaging a star a strikeout a start. Yep. Yep. And they're like, working. we gotta make room for this guy. Uh the <laughs> It's whatever. I mean, the Twins, again, this is the luxury of of being in the AL Central. The Rays, final series of the weekend, we haven't mentioned the Rays taking two of three over the Angels. The Angels' woes continue. They had they lost a game where Otani hit a grand slam. Uh, Nolan Shanuel got his first hit. I'm so happy for him. But uh, the only good news with the Angels is that apparently Mike Trout is probably coming back this week. So that's good. And it's they're above the Yankees. Probably. Above the Yankees. They are they are above the Yankees. They are eight and a half back in the wild card race. They have obviously 
not played well since they went quote unquote all in, but uh, they don't really have a choice. They're going to keep trying. Uh, and then, yeah, if they get Mike Trout back, that'll be nice. There was a, you know, MLB.com does these like injury roundup articles. Mm-hmm. You ever read those? Yeah. Real, real inspiring stuff. Yep. I like to read them. They're really up my alley. Mm-hmm. I love how mundane they are. They make me laugh. But there was one recently, I'm trying to find it, with Otani, where it was basically Otani was listed as right arm fatigue. And it said, I want to find the wording. It was like Otani to pitch despite exhaust, like total and other, <laughs> utter like, exhaustion. Otani oh, is very I tired. I got it. I got it. Yeah. August 18th. RHP slash DH Shohei Otani, parentheses, right arm fatigue. Close parentheses. Just start Wednesday. <laughs> Otani is expected to throw a side session or two before he makes his next start on Wednesday against the Cincinnati Reds. Yeah, that's that's how pitchers pitch. He knows what he needs to do. Angels GM Perry Manassian said, quote, he's the last person I'm worried about. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> that is true. That's been true for quite some time. I have a hundred. Oh, I have a thousand percent trust in him. Yes, you fucking better. Yep. He'll know what his body is telling him and what he needs to do to be ready to go. Yeah. Otani is still batting in the lineup, of course. He entered Friday second in MLB with home runs behind Matt Olson's 43. Incredible. Uh, and now... Otani was slated to hit behind Nolan Chanuel, who made his MLB debut in the opener versus the Rays. Angels are fine. Oh, boy. All right, well, they'll keep trying. Them The them and the Reds is an interesting series this week. Logan O'Hoppy back. Oh, that's yes. That is big time. Again, probably too late. But like, I didn't think he was going to be back this season, or at least no. not even this quickly. So that is definitely good to see. Let's take a quick break. Mm-hmm. Those are all the series from the weekend. I hope you feel educated now. We're going to talk about Julio's absurd heater, mm-hmm. what the Yankees need to do from here, mm-hmm. blow up Yankee Stadium. We're going to dunk on Orioles' ownership which is one of my favorite pastimes Mm -hmm. and talk about some prospects. So stick around and you'll hear more from us in a moment. This is Bob Kendrick, president of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and host of Black Diamonds, a Sirius XM podcast. On this week's all new episode, I'm talking baseball history with 1968 world champion Willie Horton. My first five years with the Tigers, I couldn't ride no taxes. I couldn't eat with the white players. You learn a good lesson from the Negro League. Download Black Diamonds right now on the SXM app, available with all trials and popular plans or wherever you get your podcast. And we're back here on Baseball Barbacast, the tired Jake Mintz and a married Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, you have something for me. Yes. So again, uh, Jake, when talking about Jose Ramirez earlier, accidentally said Jose Martinez. Normally, we would edit that out and say, oh, it's a slip of the tongue. No, Jake just got off a red eye. He was in Seattle. He's very tired. He would like to go to sleep. So any other future you know, mistakes... For the rest of this pod, just give him a little, little, little bit of slack. But I Can was you believe excited. when yeah. Jose Martinez punched Tom Anderson. <laughs> but here's the thing: the great news is that you reminded me of of Jose Martinez, who had a very brief but kind of fun career with with the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, and then briefly the Rays and Cubs at the very end. But really, what you reminded me is that he is still playing. He is in Mexico. And this man is hitting 316, 422, 5'11 as a 34-year-old for Yucatan. And I just wanted to let you know that when you have a 932 OPS in the Mexican League, your OPS ranks 23rd. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> so that is the Mexican League. Oswaldo Arcia having a fantastic season down there. All right, Jake, let's move on to... Uh, the best player on my favorite team, the Seattle Mariners, is Julio Rodriguez, who made a little bit of Major League Baseball history. Now, Jake, it's not often that you get to so many of the stats that we have. You know, Otani is really the the one that we are all regularly seeing act, literally do things for the first time. First player ever, first player ever. Oftentimes, it's first player in a long time. First player to do this. It is not often that you get to achieve something to which the graphic reads, very simply, MLB record. Full stop. And that is what Julio Rodriguez 
has done over the last week. He compiled, he collected, he gobbled up, he produced 17 base knocks over four games, Jake. That is so many goddamn hits. Oh my goodness. And if you watched Julio in these at-bats, you would understand that there was nothing that he was not swinging at. There was nothing that he was not hitting. There was nothing that he was not crushing, for that matter. It's not like there were a lot of cheapies in here all over the yard. Homers to multiple parts. It was an unbelievable display. And when you're on this kind of heater, right, the pitchers are like, oh, yeah, he's going to go up there trying to get a hit. And it didn't. it just didn't matter. It did not matter. It was incredible to watch. He's a huge reason why the Mariners are at where they are right now. And uh, yeah, when you watch someone on this kind of here, like what do, what do you think having watched some of these highlights? I mean, I think of the NBA and how when a three-point shooter is on a heater, it's incredible. Like Clay Thompson, right? When Clay Thompson of the Warriors is on a heater, it's unlike anything in sports. Where you the 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 ball going through the hoop is in it, it's it's inevitable. Baseball because of the way it's structured doesn't have that same level of statistical output. Where if you go on a heater in the NBA, like you could make 78, 80% of threes in a game. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. If you and also you but get like when you're, to, you're you're going like eight for ten, sure. which looks a lot different than a guy going four for five. Mm-hmm. It is literally double the amount. Yes. And so, but over the course of multiple games in a row, to have someone like Julio <laughs> play like a machine that's just outputting hits all day long. Did make me think about Clay Thompson. Well, and it's also like when you compare it to, like you say, like like a Clay Thompson. It's like in in the NBA, you can just go down and just shoot. So like you could rack up nine points in forty five seconds, right? That's not possible. You have to wait for your turn to come back around in baseball. But because Julio's been batting leadoff, and because the Mariners' offense has been you know humming. He has been feeling like he is coming up every, you know, 20 minutes, which in baseball terms is very soon and just keep swinging. And it, it is so wild because part of his issues earlier in the season is that he was swinging at everything and he was getting jammed and he couldn't cover the inside pitch and he's chasing sliders out of his own. But he has achieved this level of getting so locked in that it didn't matter where he was, where the ball was being thrown. He was going to hit it extremely hard. And to do it, of course, it's one thing to do it against you know the Kansas City staff, but then to rack up another eight hits against the Astros. I mean, he basically went facing the worst pitching staff in the league to facing one of the best, and it didn't matter. Four hits, five hits, four hits, four hits. Now, he's the second player ever to have four consecutive four-hit games, joining Milt Stock, the legend Milt Stock. Talk about him in a second. But uh, but 17 hits in, in four games never been done, and I can't imagine really ever seeing it again. Jake, you're raising your hand. Yeah, he's 22 years older. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Pretty nice. I like that. Like that about Julio. He's, uh, he's and like, this is the other thing. So another problem with, with uh, why Mariners fans have been kind of going crazy for the, for the first half of this year is it's like the Mariners, because of the way that they did their offseason, and, and you could say it was the ownership not wanting to spend, and that's all true. But one of the flaws was that they went into the season being like, Oh, like it's fine. Like Julio Rodriguez is one of the five best players in baseball. Like that is an absurd thing to expect from literally any player, right? That is such a, a ridiculous expectations. And it took a few months, but Julio was like, okay, fine. I will be one of the best players in the world. This is what you need from me. I will do that. And now we're in a good position to make the postseason. It's it's wild. And 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 I I obviously we talked about it on Friday too, but it's it's uh I it's for him to be this kind of player too, right? It, I think about so much of what we thought he was going to be, which is this big, beefy corner slugger swinging for the fences. He's going to be in right field. And no, he's one of the best defensive center fielders, one of the fast players in the game. And now he's racking up more hits than we've ever seen. Something that it's like, something that Ichiro never did. This is something that Ichiro never did. You would think if anybody would have had 17 hits in four games, it would be Ichiro. And no, Ichiro Julio could have it done first. it if he had just tried. You know, like he didn't hit home runs because he didn't try. He could have done it if he had tried. It's a good point. It's a really good yeah. point. From one franchise with some issues willing to extend its superstar to another franchise with some issues reluctant to extend its superstar, John Angelos, the owner of the Baltimore Orioles, is a freaking oddball for a variety of reasons. His father, Peter Angelos, ran the team for many years. He was pretty weird, too. But weird old dads create weirder younger sons. And John is in charge of the birds right now. 
And there was a little article piece in the New York Times written by Tyler Kepner. Didn't think that the New York Times did uh, sports coverage anymore. So it was nice to see this, I guess. Tyler Kepner, friend of the show, did a pretty good job with this article. Um, it is a profile on John Angelos and his approach to the Baltimore Orioles. Mm-hmm. Angelos comes across, he's trying to come across as relatable mm-hmm. and communicative. And yet he still comes across as a bit of a dunce. The Orioles have not re-signed their lease at Camden Yards, which is up sometime soon. They're basically trying to leverage that into more public funding to redevelop the area around the stadium because every freaking team now just wants to copy what Atlanta did with Mm -hmm. the battery, which is difficult to do for a thousand reasons, whether it's the amount of space that Atlanta had and how cheap the land was where they built near the stadium and how, you know, there's just 90,000 reasons you can't just snip, you snap your fingers and do it, right? Yes. That's what Angelos wants. And the article, what it kind of supposes is, unless the Orioles get that, he's not going to be able to spend money to extend the current crew of stars, of young stars, which is incredibly disappointing and is yet another way to get an amped fan base <laughs> thinking negative. So thanks, John. Yeah, I, it is It is an interesting uh, look, and I, I do think uh, Telekepner did, did an awesome job of, of kind of letting him have a platform to explain why he wanted to do this, while also and most people who are reading this can still be like, well, this is not, it's still not what we want to hear. Like, I understand where he's coming from, but that is, again, this goes back to all this goofiness with Kevin Brown, which was briefly acknowledged in the story in a very strange way, but... It's the fact that like you have everything is going so well and you have succeeded on the baseball side. You did you did the right smart thing of hiring Mike Elias and getting out of the way. If there's one thing we can give John Angelo's credit for, oh, yeah. it is it is that, right? That is true. Because I think that's actually a sneaky big deal. Totally. It's because it's not, it's his a, dad it's a huge would not deal. have his dad would not have done that. Like, exactly. Peter Angelos thought he knew baseball ops. Exactly. Exactly. And so that is that is an undeniable credit, right? Uh, we love owners. Like, we love owners. We love all owners. <laughs> but like, if the goal of hiring Mike Elias was to develop a talented, cheap team, you've done it. But th- if you want that talented, cheap team, that talented, cheap team doesn't stay cheap forever, right? As, as Tyler points out, their third lowest payroll in baseball is just a it's just a product of how young their team is and the economics of baseball. Not that's it's by design. It's not necessarily salary suppression. It's that we wanted to just develop players that were cheaper, right? And it's working, but that doesn't last forever. And so what's so frustrating about this is not saying we don't want to spend on free agents. It's saying we don't think we can keep our own guys around. And that is what is so heartbreaking. And when you hear that, that's, that is the small market thing that sucks the most. That's the the rhetoric that we hear in places like Pittsburgh, right? And Cincinnati and say, we can't keep these guys. We have but no chance. But it's not true. This is what's so frustrating. It's not true. I know mm-hmm. it was a different kind of situation, but the Reds kept Votto. They paid him all that money for all those years. Mm-hmm. The Pirates just extended Brian Reynolds. Yep. The Rays gave Wander Franco 200 and whatever million dollars, and they are mm-hmm. as cheap of an organization as it gets. Mm-hmm. Mariners paid Julio. The Diamondbacks mm-hmm. paid Corbin Carroll. That ex- like that type of deal works and exists and functions. The Braves extend the Braves extended everybody under the sun. Now they're all mm-hmm. under market value, and that's a long conversation. I understand that, but the Orioles can do this. They can extend Adley and or Gunner. They should have the financial ability to do that, and that is the type of thing that you need to spend your money on. Because if my mind has been changed at all by what's happened in 2023 this season, mm-hmm. it has made me think a little bit less of free agency. Mm-hmm. with the Padres and the Mets and the Yankees and all these teams. Not in that it is bad to spend, but it is bad to spend and rely on free agency. Because what happens, right? You're signing 32-year-olds, 32-year-olds get hurt. You're putting your faith in them. When they get hurt, you don't really have a great backup plan, and that's how you end up like the Padres or the Yankees or the Mets, whatever. Mm-hmm. Spending on your own talented young players to extend them, that's a layup. That's easy. It should you be. You get Gunnar Henderson now. He's 22 years old. You get until he's 34. And that's, that is the, the, the thing that is, and why I think Angelos feels comfortable saying things like this 
is that the fortunate thing is that they have a lot of time because all these guys just came up and it's not like any of these young core members are about to hit free agency. And so he's clearly hoping that this is, we can get this to help, you know, make more, obviously it's all so self self-fulfill or self-centered, whatever. Like we know that it's just so that he has to, they have to pay less so they can get public funding. I understand that. But they have the time to figure this out. It's just disappointing to hear it said in such blatant terms because to your point, of course they can't afford it. Let's keep it in Orioles land. Gunnar Henderson on Sunday mm-hmm. was a single short of the cycle mm-hmm. in Oakland. And he ripped a liner down the right field line and took a double. And so he ended up, I believe, four for five with two doubles, a triple, and a homer. They panned to the Orioles' dugout, who, by the way, at this point were up by 85 runs. And everyone on the bench was like, what are you doing? Like, why didn't you stop at first? Mm-hmm. And Gunner was like, so I could get a double. Jordan, thoughts on this? Uh, totally fine with it. I think that while I think we've learned that people care about the cycle um, a lot in baseball, more than maybe we do as fans, I think this specific batted ball would have looked so goofy to not go to second (laughs) that I think that had he stopped at first, people would be giving him shit for that too. Like, honestly, like I'm sure the team would have been like, oh yeah, we got it, right? It's not like, but like to me, this this is a better, like the the slugging percentage is going up more doing this. And Gunner's like, look, man, like I'm, I'm out here trying to win rookie of the year. I'm out here trying to like, like this is all, all part of the whole. And clearly he's like, no, I'm not going to stop. But I do think that the specific batted ball, like if you just read the headline and didn't see the play, <laughs> you might think that he like hustled the second. No, <laughs> but, like this was a double. He hit a double. So he should be on second base. It, I feel like it should be a cycle. <laughs> like, <laughs> which brings up this the question in my head. Yeah. Is four home runs a cycle? Well, this is the thing. I mean, for, to me, four extra base hits is more impressive than a cycle. But again, yeah, it's not a cycle. But it should be a cycle. It's like in Yahtzee. Oh, I see. So you're basically like, you've cleared the standard, so you still get credit yeah. for it. But that's what's should. so goofy about the whole thing to begin with. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> you hit four homers, it's a cycle. Okay. That's, yeah. With, uh, that would confuse a lot of, uh, like, broadcasters if someone hit four home runs he for the cycle for the cycle it should be it's like four home runs actually pretty impressive so i'm fine with it gunner keep doing your thing (laughs) that's that's what constitutes orioles uh trouble uh nowadays he's been oh my god he he bullied oakland this weekend to a, a pretty ridiculous degree um i think what eight hits scored six runs he's yeah he's amazing he's gonna win a rookie of the year i believe One of our favorite events took place yesterday in Williamsport, Pennsylvania, the Little League Classic, where the big league teams walk around and schmooze with the Little Leaguers Mm. during the Little League World Series, and then the Little Leaguers watch them play at night at the Williamsport Crosscutters Ballpark in Pennsylvania, a place we have been many times. We did not go this year for a myriad of reasons. You just got married. I was at a bachelor party. Mm -hmm. However, taking in this day from afar always brings joy. You get a lot of cynicism when it comes to the Little League World Series, I think, from people within baseball. And I just, all I'll say is go to Williamsport, do the Little League Classic. It is so cool. It just means something. It is such an easy, simple layup, tap in. It is the best thing Rob Manfred has done. Oh, yeah. It is way, way up there on. I I totally agree. And uh, I would say it is. Having we love owners fir- and Rob Manfred on the show. Having having been there for the first one in 2017 is one of one of the things I'm most grateful for because seeing that and and I think what's been so amazing about it and I know now we've had some repeat guys that have gone a couple times like Trevor Williams was in his third one which is kind of funny but like some of the guys have gone back but it doesn't get old like it, it truly like even if it's the same essentially the same schedule every time where they go and watch the games in the afternoon and then they go and all the little leaguers go to the game at night. Like it does not get old and every single player that has gotten to do it will tell you the same thing that it is the coolest thing ever. So can't get enough. It translates on TV too. I hope we get to go back at some point and see it in person, but it is, it is truly, truly awesome. So 
Uh, and then the Nats just taking the series from the Phillies. The Nats have been awesome. CJ Abrams and Kiebert Rees have both been amazing. So credit to them. Let's uh, right. swing on over to the prospect yes. corner, Jordan, and talk about... Yeah, we'll about- do we'll do this a little rapid fire here, but oh, I did yeah. want to touch on these because uh, there's some interesting minor league happenings. A couple call-ups, one that we just had over the weekend. I mentioned Noel Marte, 14th red to debut this season, and that is what it has felt like uh, going to Great American this year. Just so many debuts, so ridiculous. I cannot remember ever having a team quite like this. It's not just that they're making a bunch of major league debuts on a bad team. These are all players that are very talented and expected to contribute right away. The Reds would be nowhere near a postseason spot if they did not have any of these rookies. They would be one of the worst teams in the league. And instead, they have one of the probably best crops of rookies we've ever seen. Noel Marte, where he fits in. I mean, the infield was already getting crowded. Jonathan India is still injured. Uh but it's, it, I think one of the stunning things is David Bell's like, yeah, Marte's going to play third every day. I was like, oh, shit. Okay. So Steer's going to left. What happens when India comes back? Who knows? But it is cool to see him. And he was, of course, you know, the headliner in Luis Castillo deal. So right. excited to see him up uh, in the big leagues. People thought he was a shortstop for a little bit. And then it became pretty clear pretty quickly that he was going to outgrow yeah. the demand. See, it's, it's interesting because he... I. A couple of Reds people mentioned this over the weekend. Like in spring training, he was crazy jacked, and it was like, oh man, like th- this guy, no chance he's playing uh, third. I actually think in another org that didn't have 50 other shortstops, there's a shot he still would be playing there, but makes no sense for Cincinnati. Is it like an Asadrubal Cabrera type body? No, he's slim, kind of, he's slimmed down. Um, he's a little taller, I think, than Asadrubal was. Like he looks really good, and I think he'll be a good third baseman, but. It yeah. is. Uh, it's it's weird. It's I, I I like his chances more in the infield. I know sometimes I was going to be a right fielder. No, he he'll play third and he'll be he'll be good there. Uh, one another call up that I believe is taking place tomorrow is lefty Kyle Harrison with the San Francisco Giants. The Giants have not been playing very well recently, but he will be coming up uh, left handed pitcher to make a start for them. And yeah, I mean as many people have said, he's the most hyped uh, Giants pitching prospect. Really, since Madison Bumgarner, you look at his numbers in AAA this year, the ERA is high. That's just the PCL, but 105 strikeouts, 65 innings. He's a really interesting prospect. He's a guy who was a third round pick in 2020, very celebrated high schooler, but like he was a guy where, like, as soon as people saw him in instructs, it was like, why the fuck was he in the third round? It, it, it was so quick that it made no sense. And that he's a great example of the 2020 draft having barely been scouted that spring. And when he shows up in pro ball, it was like, oh, damn, we all completely flubbed this. He's been racking up the strikeouts like crazy, kind of a funky low slot uh, lefty guy, just really interesting approach angle. And um, he's, uh, yeah, Giants, Giants rotation is an interesting spot. Nice to see some youth in the Giants rotation. We've seen them get some, some you know position player prospects in the big leagues. It'll, it'll be fun to see Kyle Harrison kind of try to make an impact there, especially if he's there for the long term. I believe he's starting against the Phillies tomorrow. Two other call-ups down on the minors. Ethan Salas and Dylan Cruz called up to double-A. Let's start with Dylan Cruz. <laughs> Dylan Cruz, the number two overall pick in the recent draft by the Washington Nationals out of Louisiana State University, where he won the Golden Spikes Award for the best player in the country. He is a hitter's hitter in center field. Man just rakes. They sent him to high A. He lit it a, f- a flame. <laughs> he sent him, kicked everyone's they sent ass. Him to, they sent him to low A. They should have sent him to high A, but they didn't want him to subject him to, to Wilmington. So Wait, they, sent to him to lo- they sent him to low Oh, you're right. They sent him to Fredericksburg. They sent him to Fredericksburg. He hits 355 with five homers in 14 games. And they're like, okay, uh, that's enough. So double they a. send him to double A Harrisburg. And this is exciting because now he will be in the outfield with James Wood and Robert Hassel. And uh, the Bright Future Nationals are feeling frisky. We'd love to see it. That might necessitate a little old drive out to Harrisburg, Harrisburg Pennsylvania might deserve some, some attention. Mintz, yes. Right? They, that is, uh, and, and, you know, they skip him over Wilmington. They send Johanny Morales and Andrew Pignita to Wilmington. They, they're like, sorry, you guys have to go deal with this. <laughs> but we'll, we'll skip Dylan Cruz. Listen, you could argue Dylan Cruz should have started in double A. Uh, but it is it is cool to see him kind of do exactly what we wanted him to do. Now, on the other side, <laughs> you have Ethan Salas, which is... So, for all we talked about, Nolan Shanuel calling him up from Conference USA to the big leagues in, you know, 16 games. Ethan Salas is 17. And now Ethan Salas, a catcher, is going to be with the San Antonio Missions. Ethan Salas played 
10 games in high A with Fort Wayne, didn't hit particularly well, and it didn't matter. They are pushing him to double A. I don't entirely understand the urgency here, other than it sounds like they want all of their best prospects at double A, where Jackson Merrill is, and some of their best pitchers they want to have. I'm sure Sal's working with these young pitchers, and that is all great. Here's what I will say about this. Ethan Salas is generational. Jackson Merrill is one of the best prospects in baseball. And what is concerning to me is that the way that the Padres have been built is so aggressive and so wild in terms of player development and then trading these guys. It is very easy to look at their team now and look at their drafts the last few years and be like, oh, they're crushing it. Look at this talented group. Look at all these prospects that they got in the later rounds. And that's great. But like... We've said this about the Padres farm system so many times over the last seven years, and none of those players have made it to the Padres and contributed to the Padres. And so I believe in these players and their talent, and I root for their success. But saying that the 2021 and 22 drafts look like and sounds like amazing, like I don't care anymore for them. I don't. Because if it's not helping the Padres win, it doesn't matter. That's the whole point. And so until the, the, that's happening, I love these prospects too. I hope they all succeed. I hope they all succeed in San Diego. But they that is not an organization where I, I see that, that, it, that it is coalesced the way that you've seen in Baltimore, right? The way that you've seen in Seattle, the way that you've seen in some of the, and yes, I'm biased towards our two teams, but that's what's happened. We've watched it actually happen where the prospects that are hyped come and help the major league team. That has not happened with the Padres. And so until that happens, I am going to temper my uh, excitement for rushing all these guys as fast as possible. The only position player who has contributed to the 2023 Padres who was originally acquired by the Padres, I believe is Luis Camposano. Gary, Yankees, Cronenworth, Padres, Hassan Kim, I guess kind of counts, but he was like an adult in the KBO before he signed. Sander, no. Machado, no. Soto, no. Trent Grisham traded over from Milwaukee. Tatis kind of counts, but traded over from the White Sox, but I think it really should count. Then Matt Carpenter stinks. Like, it's just very odd. They have not been able to do it. And whether that is an issue with the player development side or player acquisition, or maybe their guys are just overhyped. Unclear. They have used those players to get, of course, good big leaguers. Of but course, you make a great point. Let's see. Let's. I would love to see Ethan Salas do it in brown and gold. All right. Uh, I think that is it. Uh, we don't have to dunk on the Yankees anymore. They'll lose a couple more games uh, before when if they lose on Tuesday against the Nats. WL9, which I don't know. I think the last time the nine-game losing streak has to go back even farther. So yeah. we will we will find out if they lose on Tuesday. We'll talk more about them on Wednesday. But Jake, you should go to sleep. Thank you for doing this podcast with me, fresh off the flight. Thank you to Chris Tyler for producing, as always. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday with another regular show. Uh, Jake, enjoy your snoozing, and uh, yeah. we will talk to you all very soon. <laughs> Sirius XM Podcasts.